Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone. Uh, I have a special guest today, going a little bit different instead of founders and CEOs. I decided to uh, interview Hillel Fold, um, one of the premier influencers in the high-tech space in Israel. He's dubbed Israel's top marketer. He's worked with leading tech entrepreneurs, investors, and visionaries. He's worked with big brands. We'll start there with Google, Oracle, and he's also uh, worked with many, many startups. He's advising uh, 15 companies now you're advising, roughly. You know, put that Hebrew in there. And uh, so today we're going to really talk about Hillel and, and, and how his approach is to the community, to the startups he's worked with, and you know, we'll just jump right into it. Man, you, you, I should pay you for PR. <laughs> Holy smokes, what an intro. So with that, you know, why don't you give us this a little bit of a synopsis that I, I might have missed, and then we'll jump into the first questions. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the business of, of doing good. I know that sounds super corny and cliche, but that's the truth. I was blogging back before there was any business model. I was meeting entrepreneurs trying to help do good as much as I can when people thought I was nuts. And maybe I was nuts. I didn't know where I was going to go. But what ended up becoming clear is that when you facilitate success for others, you win. When you help others win, you win. And so I helped countless companies over the years, just kind of things that to me were pretty intuitive and maybe obvious, you know, telling your story a little better, introductions to the press where, you know, I write for TechCrunch, I write for the next web. So for me to introduce a company to TechCrunch is literally an email. It takes 10 seconds. And when others might have been charging for that intro, I just said, well, it's an email. It takes 10 seconds. Why not just, you know, help? And then these companies came back to me and said, listen, you helped us early on. We know your abilities and we want them in-house. So let's let's work together on your terms. How do you how do you work? And so I joined these companies as an advisor on retainer, on equity, depending how active I am. And uh, I never came to a company and said, pay me. I just did my thing. So today I'm, I'm really fortunate to be working with some incredible companies, um, probably closer to 30 than 15. But uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not counting. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. But the point is, it's, it's uh, you know, I always say I had my job in the early in the early days. I had my job and I had my passion, startups and blogging. And those things over the years merged into one. So that's kind of the biggest blessing. So, you know, so, so with that, well, first I'll give a shout out to your wife because I'm sure she had to, you know, push you or I would say really tolerate me. Not tolerate. My wife's tolerating me too, but tolerate you all your figuring this all. It's not an easy thing to do when you're, you know, you're, you're doing this and you're paying for it. And again, it's a long-term game. I know we spoke about this, you know, before it's a long-term game, right? It's not about the short term. It's about, you know, what you, you know, what you do now will pay off in five months. It could pay off in a year, but the goal is you, it, it, it will pay off. And if it doesn't, then okay. But you know, you move on. Well, yeah, yes and no, because a total shout out. My, my wife deserves the shout out. Having said that, it's not like I wasn't working in the early days. Agreed. People say that to me all the time. Well, how do you make money? I was. I had a job. Yeah. Now, I could have been cleaning toilets. It didn't really matter. I was a technical writer, writing user guides yeah. for Converse. Like It literally didn't matter what I was doing, um, but I was doing that to support my family and kind of building this thing on the side. So I was making money, but... Uh, uh, no, I hear that. I hear that. And I, I, I appreciate that. You know, listen, I couldn't do this either if I didn't have a job. Yeah. Um, you know, so so with that, let's talk about your commerce. You bring that up, right? So, you know, the first job there, you're saying you're writing technical cards. But I'm going to ask you a different question. What did you learn from commerce that you've kept to today? 
Two things. It's a good question. So I was a technical writer. For those that don't know what a technical writer is, it's the guys that write the user guides that you get with your iPhone that no one reads. Um, so the two things I learned, one about myself that I'm deeply passionate about technology because even though I was writing these dry, boring user guides, I was still writing about tech and I loved that. So that that's one lesson and that kind of helped me transition into blogging and everything else that I did. Uh, the second thing that I learned at Converse was the skill, the ability to take something complex and simplify it which is what a blogger does, right? A technical writer sits with the SMEs, the subject matter experts, the engineers, who are speaking to you in a third English, a third Hebrew, a third Russian about the most complex, terrifying, intimidating, you know, SMS systems and maintenance and all this garbage. And you have to then take it and translate it to from the file, click open, from the file menu, click open, you know, to translate it into language that some technician in like Verizon is going to understand. So took, I took that ability of taking complex and scary things and simplifying them and kind of uh, took it with me to the blogging blogosphere. Interesting. Uh, that's a, actually a good point. Um, all right. So then, you know, what was the first thing you failed at? Right. And then, wow. and, had, and had you overcome it? Like, what did you, did it, did it put you down or were you able to move on, tackle another thing? You know, so there's, there's not a lot of failures. Um, without, I don't know if I, I can't really say names, but just imagine the biggest exits in this country. I turned them down. Meaning, and again, I'm not kidding to say names because it's yeah. obviously sensitive, but the founders of some of the biggest exits in this country literally called me up and said, join us as VP Marketing, join us as co-founder. Literally, one of the biggest exits called me up, the founder, and said, I'm starting this company, join me as a co-founder. I remember where I was standing, and I was like, yeah, not so much my thing, sold to one of the largest tech companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, on the one hand, you know, even by the way, forget for one second not taking opportunities. Even companies that I worked with that ended up exiting, I didn't buy my options. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from, from a financial perspective, those are failures. I don't really lose sleep over it very much um, because I'm, I'm living my dream and, and, you know, money, whatever. It, it, it's important. I mean, thank God I'm, I'm supporting my family. That's all I really want anyway. But, um, you know, it's, it's a failure from a financial perspective. But, but again, it's really important to just kind of like, um, you know, have that kind of in the back of your head that, you know, maybe things could have been different. But, but it's not something that drives me on a daily basis. That's from a financial perspective. Um, you know, I launched two companies uh, that weren't, you know, runaway successes. You know, Zula, which we launched years ago, was pretty much Slack before Slack. Uh, it had everything that Slack has, team communication, you know, uh, one-on-one chat, and even had things that Slack came out with years later, like conference calling. Uh, but for a whole bunch of reasons, whether it was execution, timing, and many other things. I mean, we, we launched the TechCrunch Disrupt. We won the Audience Choice Award. We raised money for Microsoft. Like, it was, it was kind of like a startup fairy tale. And then we, we lost to Slack. Um, so that was a failure. Definitely learned tons of lessons there. Zcast is still going. Uh, a lot of users, we haven't raised capital. It's a topic for another time, but, you know, also not a huge commercial success. So there have been failures for sure. But um, I guess the most important thing is, yes, on the one hand, to learn lessons. But on the other hand, also, like, just not let it get you down because it's easy to get down from this stuff. And you know, I'm reading Lean Startup right now. It's all about, you know, pivoting. It's all about changing direction while keeping your... Uh, the foundation in one place. Um, so, you know, uh, again, I know this is cliche, but I don't, I don't really believe in the concept of failure, pure 100% total failure. If you're, if you're not learning something, then it's failure. But. No, I hear that. And, and, you know, you mentioned pivoting. That, that, that'll come back to another question I have later on. Um, so, you know, how did you get started, right? So you're, you're at Converse, you're doing your technical writing. You're, you know, it's boring, but it's a job. You're enjoying the aspect of the technical aspect, learning, you know, focusing on how to take something complex, making it simple. But from there, like, so, wh- you know, how did you get started along the path, right? I remember you 
blogging a lot more. This is well before the you know video you know the vlogging yeah. came out. But how did you parlay that into going to you know making such an impact? And yeah, I'll say impact. Right early on, maybe not, but you're pretty impactful in the Israeli market and across the tech scene overall. Right? I think you again not that you like to tell yourself, but. Uh, I, I think there was what your top ten now, top fifteen in terms of. Those, but those lists are ridiculous. Uh, agreed. But, okay, but the point is, people are recognizing you for what you, the ability you have to really promote, and it's not yourself per se, but other companies. Right. So that's first of all, you just nailed it uh, with your question. I'll address that in a second. But and again, this this whole this whole like episode is going to be one big cliche. And I apologize, but <laughs> the truth is, literally, there's just one word that answers that question. And that is passion. In the early days, I was blogging. It made no commercial sense. No one was blogging. It wasn't even a thing. I, I didn't think of it as a blog. I thought of it as a tech diary. I was just writing my thoughts. I'd get to work every day, make a cup of coffee, and write. Uh, people thought I was nuts. People were like, why are you not putting ads on your blog? Why are you not monetizing? Why are you not making money? What do you mean you're mentoring startups? What do you mean you're working with Google and helping startups charge them, take money? And uh, I just went all in on my passion, and I said, you know what? Ads on my blog is not my end game. And they were like, well, what's your end game? And I, like, I have no idea what my end game is, but that's not it. And I just went all in on my passion, ignored everyone. Um, and people say to me, well, what would have happened if your blog hadn't taken off? And I say, then I would have had a good time doing what I love. You know, so you have to love. It won't work otherwise. If you're, if you're following money, you're going you're gonna to burn out. But I just followed what I loved. I genuinely loved tech before it was cool to love tech. Right? Today, you know, I always say today is geek, geek is the new cool. Back then, geek was just geek. It wasn't cool. So there's a few things. So, right, so people are listening, and hopefully you've grown since the last podcast. Follow your passion. I mean, it don't it doesn't mean you have to quit your day job, but you definitely, yeah. you know, follow it. Um, you know, I like to say, you know, step in a comfort zone. 100%. Um, that is something that, you know, again, something that I'm doing now. But so, you know, you're doing that. And so what happens? So some a company, you, you either write about a company or a company. You, let's take your first, if you can recall, first one or two companies that came to you and say, you know what? Could you advise us? How, do you, how, how can you help us out? So first of all, I just want to address something that you said before, which I think is spot on. Um, a lot of times people will say, okay, this content thing, everyone's talking about content, content, great, so I'm going to use content to promote myself. That's ridiculous. Nobody's interested in a company or a person promoting themselves. Uh, you, you, you referenced that list, right? A list of the top 1,000 tech bloggers on the internet, in which I'm number 10, which is laughable. Literally, I'm not being like ridiculously like, it's, it's laughable. People that I, that, that built my career in, in blogging are under me on that list. It's completely ridiculous. But, but we all, we missed the point here because Every single one of those thousand tech bloggers was just promoted by some random German website. What do you think the first thing they're going to do is? They're going to take that list. They're going to share it. So that German website, by promoting others, just promoted themselves. Correct. People don't get that. They don't play that long game. And so I spent the years not not promoting myself but promoting others. And so in the early days, I would just literally write my thoughts about tech. And startups began to reach out. And I'd sit with them, help them, you know, whether it was tell their story, whether it was, um, you know, know their landscape a little better, know their go-to-market, sometimes introductions to investors, press, whatever. I literally never took a dime from anyone. Um, I think my first, for example, I think my first advisory officially was was Umove, a company in Jerusalem that does mobile software-only eye tracking. It was, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or something. Uh, To be honest with you, I don't even remember how that came to be, but the point was, you know, I was helping them, I was doing my thing, and they said, "Let's, let's work together in an official capacity. But like, you know, fast forward, whatever, eight years, I'll just give you one story. I'm walking in uh, – I'm, I'm after a meeting with Alan Feld, right, Vintage, Vintage Ventures, who I love, and I'm uh, – shout out. And I'm walking in the in the parking lot of Ackerstein Towers, which is like a complete zoo, and I can't find my car, right? So I'm walking around looking for my car, and this guy walks by, and I say to him, excuse me, do you know where Zone A is? And he goes, you're Hillel, right? So I said, yeah, who are you? He goes, oh, my name is Toby. 
I'm the CEO of a company called Prove. I was like, oh, what's Prove? So he says, oh, we built a platform for startups and enterprises to collaborate. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's actually brilliant. He goes, why don't you come upstairs for coffee? I was like, all right. I go upstairs for coffee. This is how it happened. I'm not kidding. I go upstairs for coffee and we start telling him, I'm like, this is, this is brilliant. I'm like, what are you launching? He's like, tomorrow. I'm like, seriously? So I just sent an email. I'm sorry, not an email. I sent a DM over Twitter to Julie Bort at Business Insider saying, Julie, you need to hear about this company. This is incredible. The next day, she wrote an entire feature on Prove. This guy's startup is one of the most interesting ideas we've ever seen. That went on for a couple of months. I kind of worked with Prove. I helped them, whatever it is. And today, and, you know, Toby then reached out. We sat. We're like, let's work together, you know. We already worked together. Let's make it official. And I've been working with them for over two years now. Uh, but again, the same story. I just did my thing, right? And so all the startups that I'm advising, and not only startups, some of them are, are unicorns, some of them are public companies, all companies that I have a relationship with and I helped in one way or another. And they said, let's work together. But I, again, it's really important. I never came to a company and said, pay me. I just came to a company and said, what are your challenges and how can I help you? And again, you help others win, you end up winning. Agreed. Agreed. So, you know, with, you know, one of the questions I, I like to ask as well, what was one of the more exciting startups that you were really like hot on? Like, you know, it just, again, I, and not to say others aren't hot, but really like, you know, either that you really were, it resonated with or you thought, well, Commercially, I think this is just like, you know... Well, we're sitting in the office of one. Okay. Honestly. Um, so I met Shlomo Mervis, CEO of Intelligo, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago with Ari, who's right behind you. Um, and they told me about this company that, you know, let me, let, me, let me give a little background first. If you look at every winner in the tech space, whether it's, you know, Uber... Facebook, WeWork, <clears throat> Airbnb, all the other companies. I don't want to give a shout out to Airbnb nowadays, but you know all the hot companies in tech, they all have one thing in common. They all took a space that always existed, that was primitive, archaic, and they flipped it on its head using technology and quote-unquote disrupted it, right? So I sit with Shlomo and they tell me about background checks. Like the U.S. government has hundreds of thousands of people in their backlog uh, to do background checks. Who's entering the country, right? You look at uh, pre-investments. You look at financial institutions. Everyone does do background checks. You look at HR, hiring. Everyone wants to do background checks. And these guys are doing background checks like it's 1980. Like I'm giving you a 500-page document. If that person was accused of whatever, it's going to be on page 498. You'll never find it. And if I give you that background check and then tomorrow that person does something, you'll never know. Right? It's a static, very – these guys used AI and machine learning to do ongoing monitoring background checks and a beautiful web interface, basically disrupting this whole world of background checks. There are other companies in the space. I loved it from day one. Truth is, and again, sorry, another cliche, for me it was really about the people. Like I, Shlomo and Ari and the rest of this team, superior human beings, honestly, just amazing people. Um, and so same story. I was working, helping, doing things, whatever it was, and, and uh, then I joined them. And I think you know this is early, early days, but I, I love this company, Intelligo. That's, that's one shout out. And another thing that's important to mention is you know, companies that are extraordinary. What do I mean extraordinary? I mean Israel excels at many uh, sectors, right? Obviously cybersecurity, AI, et cetera, et cetera, all the – but when it comes to, comes to consumer, Israel is kind of perceived as like that's the weak link. You know, consumer apps, we don't have like a mm-hmm. – there are several exceptions to that rule. Uh, Pulse is one of them just named Israel's hottest startup. I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but it's a cool company. But Home Talk, right? This company based in Jerusalem building the world's largest DIY community, do-it-yourself. Um, amazing company, like ridiculous numbers, absolutely outrageous numbers. Um, and they did it bootstrap. They didn't raise any venture capital. Like it's just a crazy, crazy company. So I'm advising them, and uh, that's something that for me sticks out in my head as just extraordinary because it's a consumer play. It's, it's DIY, and yet their 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 traction is off the charts. No, I know. I, I mean, I think we both know Mo Murdoch. So that's that's where Love no, I, I, yeah, so so that's where I, I you know I, I've known Home Talk. They spoke at one of my conferences a while back. 
and the videos actually, you know, you never know, but some of the videos have hit, what? I mean, hundreds of millions or... Wild stuff, yeah. You know. I mean, you know, they, they do a lot of social videos, um, so, social sharing, and that's where their platform is really taking off. But overall in Israel, I mean, so, you know, we'll talk, you mentioned a few of the companies. What do you think, you know, and a lot of people who read you or who just know you, let's say, perfectly, what do you think makes Israel such a hotbed for startups? Oh, man, that's a question. It's, it's, it's a big question. We talk about it for three hours. Listen, it's, it's obviously a combination of a lot of things. And, you know, it's all been said before in Startup Nation. It's, it's a discussion. But there's definitely the, the um, let's call it cultural slash sociological aspect of, you know, when I put my blinker on in Israel, you speed up. As opposed to in America where I wanted to change lanes, you slow down. In Israel, you speed up because, you know, that's in Israel to be a friar is the worst thing in the world. Why would I let you into my lane? And so when people say, you know, that product, let's just say, is impossible. That, that, that can never happen. To like most normal people in the world, it's like, okay, it won't happen. Let's move on. In Israel, it's like right now I have more drive to do it. So there's definitely that aspect of kind of not letting anyone to our lane. Um, there's definitely the military background. There's no question about that. There's a lot of support from the government and from kind of just the society as a whole. It's very much ingrained in the DNA of Israeli society. It's, it's a bunch of a lot of, a lot of different things. But um, I think if you ask me the primary one, I definitely, I definitely think it's, a, it's more – it's a cultural, sociological thing of we're, we've always been in survivor mode. Like we're – you know – Throughout our history, I don't mean to sound. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's early in the morning. I don't well, want to get too. It's also, it's also Hanukkah here, so I mean, it's true. You know, it's true. Hanukkah here, so it's, it's it's not a bad time. It's not a bad yeah, segue. Yeah. Want to give a little different tour, but I mean, but I, I hear that. So it, it's survivor mode. Yeah, I mean, we've always been in survivor mode. We had to use our energy to survive. Now we're in Israel. You know, we have our own kind of country, our own military, and we're surviving. So we're kind of taking that energy which we traditionally use to survive and repurposing it to innovate. Think. No, that's that's a good way of saying it. That definitely. So, um, you know, you, you you do you mentioned before, and I, I think I mentioned the opening. You've worked with Google, you've worked with Apple, Parrot, you know, a number of big brands. So, you know, how do you work with them? You know, what do they want from you, and how does it differ from the startups that you work with? Yeah. So. Um Every company that I work with is very different, I'll be honest with you. Like Parrot, for example, my, my relationship with them is they send me their products to review. Uh, you know, but I'll give I'll give Huawei as an example. Okay. Right? Huawei is number two in the mobile space. They surpassed Apple, Samsung and Huawei in terms of mobile. They're massive. And yet if I walk around this office and I show all the people in this office the Huawei logo, they cannot pronounce their brand. Uh, that's why I didn't mention it. Right. So <laughs> I was gonna say Huawei, but yeah, Huawei. <laughs> but I, when they flew me out to Shanghai and I said I, I like said Huawei, and they're like, Huawei! I was like, okay, I'm sorry. Like they're very particular about it. But the point is their brand, um, you know, I'm not gonna say that's a problem because obviously they're doing incredibly well, but from a branding marketing perspective, they could they could be better. And so they said to me, Listen, you have a very engaged audience, right? People listen to you when you talk. We have superior products. Let's work together. And so I work with them as what they call a KOL, key opinion leader. We have a group of KOLs where they fly us around the world. They send us their devices and they don't like say to us, you have to write about it. But listen, you know, obviously, again, look at their Mate 20 Pro, their P20. These are crazy phones. I was watching yesterday um, the top YouTubers talking about their top phones of 2018. And like alongside Apple and Samsung, like half of them were talking about the Huawei phones, which is crazy because it's this Chinese brand that's not even sold in America. Um, and so I work with them. With Google, for example, they have a program called Google Developer Experts where they fly experts in to headquarters once a year in engineering, in you know, in UX, UI, and in marketing. Uh, and so I work 
with them as part of that program um, throughout the year. It's just kind of a pretty passive relationship, but that kind of once a year we have that that summit, expert summit, um, with Oracle. They have an Oracle Startup Advisory Board that I'm on. Every company calls it something else. It's pretty much all the same, which is kind of like influencer slash ambassador relationship. Uh, they don't pay me, but, uh, you know, they win, I win. I Meaning I get access to Google execs. They get access to my audience. And it's just a win-win. Uh, so it's it's a very different relationship with, them, with startups. They're not interested in growth. Google doesn't need to grow. But, um, you know, they tap into something that I have that they don't have, and I tap into something that they have that I don't have. Interesting. And do you ever – have you ever seen cross-pollination with the two? I Meaning companies that might be good for Huawei or – Oh, Google for from, sure, absolutely. I mean, like from a from a strategic, yeah, from strategic, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, so I, I definitely made tons of intros from start, you know, startups to these these enterprises. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but there's there's a, there's a there's a platform in Israel that's in the influencer space, a, a leading platform that happened. It's a funny story, but happened to have launched their company from one tweet of mine. They sent me a press release one morning. And it was a very nice email that they sent. And I, I wrote about it. I tweeted it. Alyssa Milano retweeted me. One of her uh, Arab sheik in Saudi Arabia followers retweeted her. 50 million followers and their servers in Haifa melted. That's how they launched their company. Anyway, fast forward a couple of years. And now they're a successful company with massive, massive customers. And so I introduced them to Huawei, who ended up uh, hiring them as their influencer program. So there is definitely like the synergy between my access to entrepreneurs and startups and my access to enterprises. And that's why I love Proof, by the way. That's what they do. So, you know, I want to take a second, not ask questions, but you mentioned a great thing. And this is something that, you know, you and I probably share, you more than me, frustration with social media, right? I know that it bugs the hell out of me when people who have, don't even know me send me Oh, God. Don't get me started. I, I'm getting you started. That's no, the whole point. Huh. Right? I know, I know it frustrates you. You've written out in ink. You've written it out. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it kills me that... If you're going to reach out, take a few seconds and make a point. I want to say something. It's unfortunate that this podcast is not video because otherwise I would show this on video. But I'm going to show you right now. I'm opening my Twitter right now. I'm going to show you my last 50 mentions on Twitter. Look how many of them are spam. Are people that mass tagged me in pictures and just like opted me into a conversation I didn't want to be part of. And now I'm getting notifications for every single one of them. I'm literally scrolling through my feed. All these – you see all these mentions? Yeah. Those are just – that's all spam. All that is spam. Spam, spam, spam. All that's spam. This is Twitter. This is my last 20 yeah. mentions. Look at this. Just It doesn't stop. It's just unbelievable, all that. These are all people that just tag. So, yeah, people abuse this platform. And I think uh, people on a, on a fundamental level don't understand that, that social media, which is a phrase that I actually despise, but out of lack of a better phrase, is, is more of a listening platform than a broadcasting platform. It's not a glorified sales platform. You should be using these platforms like Twitter, like Facebook, to actually listen. What is the market saying? What are they saying about you? What are they saying about your competitors? What's the market sentiment? You know, I don't know who said it, but two ears and one mouth, use them in that ratio, right? <laughs> Listen, stop talking so much. You know, yeah. people, people don't get it. So, yeah, it's a, it's very, it's a pet peeve. I, I, I know that. Okay, so moving on. So what are some of the, you know, again, you're, you're not in the company. You're advising the company. You're able to really take a step back and see them as, as a, you know, overarching what they're doing. What are some of the biggest challenges you've seen in companies that you you advise? Uh, subtlety. The word subtlety, I always say the word subtlety is the difference between sales and marketing, right? Both sales and marketing need to sell something. Sales is, you know, here's a phone, buy it. Marketing is, you know, here's a blog post about phones. By the way, I also sell phones. Subtle. The word subtlety does not exist in Hebrew. There's no such word. But, but I mean, isn't that, I mean, that's the culture we're in, though. I mean, that's, right. so that's what drives, I mean, that's one of the 
big things. Right, but that's yeah. that's the reason that we have you can count on probably two hands the amount of world class marketers in this country. And I'm being generous. I don't want to offend anyone. There's some really amazing marketers, but not that many. There's much more engineers than there are. Yeah. Right? Yes. And that's because marketing is subtlety, it's storytelling, it's getting me to care. It's not something that you measure ROI today to tomorrow, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, um, performance marketing. I'm talking about real marketing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times I'll meet with entrepreneurs who are unbelievable at building technology, but they don't have the first clue how to market it. Forget about even market, forget go to market, just literally to tell me their story. All they want to do is focus on their algorithms and, you know, open a, a, a pitch deck and start. And I'm like, dude, stop. Talk to me. I'm a human being. Let's have a conversation. What are you building? Why do I care, right? These guys have no clue. I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously. But mm-hmm. uh, that's that's been a challenge overall of talking about the why and not the what and the how. Um, and, you know, just building, thinking strategically, meaning doing something that will yield ROI down the line. Because oftentimes you got to, listen, I'll give a very simple example, right? Let's take an app. I, I could choose between user experience and monetization, meaning I could stuff ads in there so that every time someone downloads or opens my app, it pops an ad in their face, and I'll make more monetization short-term. Long-term, I'll lose because it's a bad user experience. And so often in marketing, you got to choose between short-term and long-term. Yeah, you can do things that are aggressive short-term and win short-term, but in the long-term, you'll lose. And so it's, it's, it's a challenge always to convince CEOs to like put aside their um, need for instant gratification mm-hmm. to win right now. And build out that foundation, right? Like, you know, I always call it the Red Bull model. Red Bull, you go to redbull.com, the word beverage doesn't even appear on their website. They're not selling you a drink. They're a content company. But what does jumping out of planes have to do with selling drinks? Well, it does. It works, right? Because when I say the word energy drink, you say Red Bull. Correct. Now, that, that took years. People don't realize that. And so I don't see any Israeli CEO jumping out of planes to promote their brand. Obviously, I'm exaggerating. But the point is these guys are all doing short-term marketing, which is, by definition, mutually exclusive to long-term wins. So that's frustrating. No, that's that's a great point. Um, that, that's actually a point I think that more people in Israel need to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, that's there's a, you know I work with a number of companies, and that's you know it definitely has that. I think I'm not on the marketing side. I'm much more on the strategic business development but, side. But that's perfect example. That's a perfect example. BD. What's BD? What is BD? It's relationship building. It's all about it's about mining and dining. Yes, it's relationship building. That's all it is. It is by definition subtle and long term. The business development in Israel is perceived as sales. Yes, it which is. is ridiculous. Like I'm it's, telling you. None of the none of the startups in this country even have such a thing. BD, they have sales, they have marketing. They don't even have BD. The, the Wixes of Israel have BD, which is ridiculous. Every company in America has business development. Yes, but business development is a long term. And then every CEO is like, I can do that. I can do business development. Like, no, you cannot do business development. It's a skill. Hire someone for it. Well, you know, it's funny. This is a plug for for sales tennis, which is coming up on March nineteenth. You know, I, I started doing a lot of dinners with CEOs and founders, and one of the frustration, one of the frustrations I've seen and I've heard. Most people don't have training. There's no sales training. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., in startups, there isn't any. I'm not talking about the corporate. I'm not talking about the SAPs, the Oracles, you know. And in Israel, for sure, they don't. Yep. I mean, there are very few really top-level salespeople you're, there. You're getting ahead of yourself. I think before they get sales training, people should have email etiquette training. <laughs> I'm telling you the stories, bro. I, I, I would, like, tell you stories, but I don't want someone listening to get uh, offended that maybe they recognize the story. But I can tell you email stories, bro, that you would, you would, like, you would not believe me. I'm not even joking. Like, talking about, like, in connecting uh, CEOs and startups to, like, massively senior execs at the biggest tech, not tech, the biggest companies in the world, and the email response, like, I want to bury myself. <laughs> It's unbelievable. You know, th- th- you know, this is something, you know, we're both connectors, you know, different levels. But one of the things that I want we, to be you when I grow up, the <laughs> whole different level. One of the things that we, we, we have a penchant of running into is our names get screwed by people who don't really follow through or are, are, are following up. And 
they don't realize that you lose currency. Right? Yep. It hurts us as an individual yep. that if you don't follow through on a nice intro yep. or it takes a week for you to get back or you just are not nice. Social capital, my friend. That's the word. Social capital. That's a, it's a big problem. It's a big, 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 big problem. People, I mean, I could write a book about how to make intros and how to respond to intros and like, it's, it's not even a joke, by the way. I mean, I'll just give you, I'll give you one example. I don't know if this is gonna. I don't know if I can. I never verbalized this, so it might not. It might well, okay. not clear. No, but I'm, I'm saying like how many people listen to it now? In my, in my <laughs> no, in my head, this 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 makes sense. I'm see if I can verbalize it. If I introduce you to someone, right, and I say, Ellie, meet David, right? David is whatever. Okay, you respond to that intro and say, David, great to meet you. Hillel speaks super highly of you, and any friend of Hillel's is a friend of mine. It took two seconds, and you just plugged me subtly, made me feel good about making that intro. You kind of elevated my brand in David's eyes, right? You made him feel good that I plugged him. Everyone, all it took was one sentence. All it took was one sentence, but it's a sentence that, that if you think about it, it, it's such an easy, low-hanging fruit that everyone wins. But again, it's no like it's, it's a stupid example, but people, it's, it's thoughtfulness. People, yes, exactly. So it, people think people don't realize that taking a second and just giving. A shout out to the person with yeah, the introduction. 100%. And by the way, it, it goes, it, it's not that you need yeah, a shout out, yeah. it's the respect that you're 100%, giving. Them. 100%. And by the way, how to make an intro, where to make the intro, do not add me to a Facebook group. <laughs> Adding uh, two people into a Facebook group saying, please meet without any prior context, without any opt in. I, did I ask for this intro? Do I know why you're making this intro? Give me some context. Is it okay to intro? Ask them, is it okay to intro? I'll tell you, sometime, like five years ago, someone made an intro to like a top exec at, at a big tech company. Without telling me why they're making the intro, without telling that exec why they're making the intro. And they said, you guys need to talk. We set up a phone call. I was thinking the whole time that this exec knew why we were talking. She was thinking that I knew why we were talking. We get on the phone. I'm telling you this is how the conversation went. Hey, hey, how are you? Great. So how can I help? How can you, how can you help? How can I help? What are we talking about here? I have no idea. Okay, have a great day. Click. Like, why would you not say, hey, Hill, I want you to meet this exec. She's amazing. And I want you guys to talk about X. Hey, exec, I want you to meet Hillel because he does Y and I want you to talk about B. Great. Now I have a context. Do I want the intro? Great. Make the intro. Now we know what we're talking about, right? No. People just make contextless intro and it's ridiculous. And use the right platform, not Facebook no, Messenger. Yeah. I'm a little bit passionate about this stuff. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. Listen, I mean, I had an intro in time and it was probably one of the worst intros I've had. The guy just like, he said, what the f- can I talk? Oh, drops the F And I don't really, I don't curse, but this is what he said. That was paraphrasing. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. This guy just sent an intro, and you're like, I mean, first of all, you're just rude. I mean, just like, yeah. but like, it's just like, I, I, I what, what am I going to do? It's like you're holding a bag of crap in your hand, and like, you have no idea. Someone made the intro last week. Someone made an intro. I literally opened up a Facebook group, added two of us in, and said, you guys need to talk. Then what happens? I'm sitting in a meeting, right? Now, of course, my phone is off, but I see my iPhone turning on every second because after he made the intro, this guy starts bombarding with notifications. So now I'm in a Facebook group with two people I don't know getting bombarded with notifications that I didn't ask for. Shoot me now. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> okay, so sorry about that tangent, but we're going to go. You're not going to talk about that a lot. Um, oh, so, so what are some of the mistakes you've seen with founders and startups, right? And have you gotten in there? Have you given your counsel to them and saying, listen, you might need to shift. You, you know, you've plateaued. I think you need to ramp things up a bit more. I mean, how have you dealt with that? I mean, listen, I, I think most of the mistakes come down to culture. I really do. And it's, it's difficult to change someone's culture. But I mean, last week I had, I had a, an instance where I made an introduction to a founder, um, to a very, very, very senior exec at, not going to mention names, but top 
10 most profitable companies in the world. Enough said. And the response was very, very, very Israeli. And I, I called him and I said, listen, bro, I love you and I hope you can take this the right way, but like, that's not acceptable. You can't do that. This guy like makes decisions worth billion, hundreds of billions of dollars. And he, he was like, you have to, listen, you have to do it in the right way. You know, we know that from Judaism. When you give someone, uh, when you give someone, what's the word of Musser? How do you say Musser in English? Give, you rebuke someone. Yeah. You got to do it gently and sensitively or else you're achieving the opposite result. So same thing with business. You, you got to give people criticism, especially if you're advising a company. You got to give them, you know, critique. You got to do it. Um, you make sure they're okay with it. You know, it's always about, it's about the intro. So like, you know, I always say like, I wrote an article about this this week on Inc. about the first five words, um, Start every. If you have a phone call that's spontaneous, how do you start the phone call? Is now a good time. If you have to call, then ask. Is now a good time? Don't just jump in. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I can't talk right now, right? So you know, it's about how you preface it and how you kind of wrap it. But uh, but I think you know sometimes, even though it's a cultural thing, you need to be able to say, listen, this is not how things are done in the world. This is how you do things, and that's great. This is not how things are done in corporate America. Got it. So um, we're gonna we're gonna wind it down. We're gonna get some Twitter questions too. Hopefully, some people asked. Um, but how do you scale yourself, right? So, uh, I, I, I mean, this is this is something that, you know, you're, you're pretty much a sole proprietor, right? You're working for yourself. You don't have a team with you. How do you scale, right? And, you know, forget, again, that, that could be another question for companies that you work with. But how do you scale yourself? And do you want to scale yourself? Ah, uh, see, that, you, that good thing you added that at the end because I'm not sure. Why do I want to scale myself? I mean, I, I'm not sure that I want to scale myself. Uh, I cannot. And this is something that I have, you know, thought about and have discussed over the years hundreds of times. I cannot delegate 90% of what I'm doing. If I'm pitching the press, it's because I have a relationship with TechCrunch. If I'm pitching an investor, it's because they trust me, right? Because I'm not, I'm not monetizing anything. You know, if people say to me, why don't you take a finder's fee? Listen, I, I just wrote millions of dollars for a company. Take a finder's fee. There's nothing wrong with that. The answer is there's nothing wrong with that except that this investor knows that I have no skin in the game. Once they start taking finder's fees, it's like, oh, are you sending this to steal because it's the best deal or it's because you're getting a cut? So I, don't, I, don't, I just don't do that. And then, again, not judging anyone who does, but I just don't do that. Um, what was the question again? Uh, it's scaling. Right, scaling. So, so the answer is I cannot delegate. See, that's my ADD in action. <laughs> I cannot scale, uh, you know, I cannot delegate by definition. I do have people that I work with over like over the years who help me with kind of tasks that I need done, but I'm not convinced that I, that's a strategy of mine. I'm not looking to scale this thing. Listen, right now I'm advising over 25 companies. Um, most of them are passive. It's not like I'm working actively mm-hmm. 25 companies, but, um, you know, I definitely see myself maybe – uh, over the years, transitioning not away from startups, but maybe adding uh, a few, let's call it multinational slash corporations slash enterprises to my portfolio. It's already happening now. I'm working with some incredible companies like Flipboard. Um, hopefully, starting a new one on January first. More to come on that. But, but the point is, you know, maybe just on a personal level to be able to work with larger companies and see how every little decision can impact millions and maybe even billions of people, as opposed to startups, which. Is fun and exciting, a little bit less impactful in terms of every little decision that you make. But um, I'm, not, I'm not really looking to scale. I'm looking to sustain. Sustain. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so what advice do you have to someone um, starting out, someone looking to build a company? All right. Um, let's go even back. What advice would you give them? Uh, wow. So I, I that's um, that's my column on, on Inc. Basically, that's what I have. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the, yeah. the question that I answer. I mean, listen, there's, there's some basic steps, which oftentimes entrepreneurs will neglect. For starters, before you do anything, meaning you have an idea, do not spend a dime. Do not build a prototype. Do not do anything. Spend the next month competitive analysis. What is out there? Now, again, this is something that's brought up in the book in, in Lean Startup often. 
Competitive analysis, not with the goal of proving to yourself or validating your idea, but the opposite. Trying to prove to yourself or poke holes in your idea. If you build a landscape with 50 other companies in your space, then you know what you're up against. Now, that doesn't mean 50 of them are direct competitors, but if you're targeting the Washington Post as your target audience and your pitch to the Washington Post is your readers will stay on the page longer, who else is going to the Washington Post with that pitch? Right? Build yourself a landscape. Know what you're up against because for starters, you know, do you want to pivot? Do you want to, Is this really something you want to focus on when there's 50 other players doing it? Besides that, you go to investors and they say, well, how are you different than X, Y, and Z? And you don't have an answer. You look like a fool, right? So first, spend a month building a landscape of literally 50 companies in your space. It could be your broad, you know, it doesn't have to be your direct competitors. That's the first thing. Second thing that often people neglect is an investor's deck, right? Before you are ready to raise money, before you have a prototype, have a deck. Why? Not even for investors, for yourself. It helps you crystallize your story. Who are you? Who's your team? What's the size of your market? What's your go-to-market? What's your monetization? Just these, these are basic questions you need to answer for yourself. It's not even a question of who's going to receive that deck. So these are kind of like two very, very basic elementary steps that, that a lot of times people maybe don't realize are first steps. Um, and then build a prototype because we talked about this before. There's, I think I talked to you about – or I talked about someone else this morning. I spoke to someone about this, uh, about the chicken and egg. Is yeah. that, we no, about no, this? The chicken and egg. There's some intrinsic chicken and egg situations. There are catch-22s in every startup. I need money to get users and I need users to get money. So how am I going to raise money if I don't have a product and I don't have users? It's like – so build a prototype. You know, build out your vision so that I'm an investor, even if, it's, even if it's JPEGs. I could see your vision. I could see it, you know, I could hold something in my hands, right? Um, hopefully be able to raise some, maybe family and friends money, maybe some initial kind of angel capital. I don't know. But then you go and you build a, a, a more substantial, you know, whatever it is, MVP, and, and then yeah. you build on that. But, um, you know, you, you got to get started somewhere. You got to get out of that catch-22, and that's, that's definitely not uh, an easy task. Every startup deals with this stuff. It's catch-22 of every startup. I hear that. All right, so a few more questions, and we'll end with some Twitter-related questions. What do you want to be when you were 15? Right? You moved, I think you moved to Israel wow. at 15? I did. Uh, Maybe I at 14, what do you want to be? I don't know that I had, a, I had a, I don't know. I definitely didn't want to, didn't think of, like, this wasn't a thing. <laughs> um, what do I want to be when I, I don't know. I mean, listen, it's funny. I don't talk about this very often, but, you know, one of my passions that I haven't pursued in life is, is music. I love music. Love singing. You've heard me. Yes, I've heard you. Yes, I mean, I'm an okay voice. Decent. Uh, maybe decent plus, but uh, I mean, I'm not by any means professional. But I also didn't, you know, get voice training. I, I love music, so maybe if you had asked me at 15 what I want to be when I grow up, maybe it would have been a singer. I don't know. Part of a boy's band. Maybe I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I have a lot of passions. I, I did love tech back then, but I, I don't think I I imagined a, a career in tech because I had no. It wasn't a path that I could have envisioned. You know what I'm saying? So you know, the, my next question is the biggest mistake you made, and you mentioned that. How would you fix that? Right? How would you, you know, you said you missed out. Would you do this, if you had to play it again, would you just, you know, another company comes to you and says, you know, Kel, we want, we want you to be part of the founding team. Right. So you know? I, I don't, that's a good question. I don't know. Because again, I'm, without mentioning names, these are companies that for whatever reason I said no to. One, because I wasn't passionate about what they were building. The other, because it, was, it required tons of travel, which I just wasn't into. Um, and so I'm not sure that I would do it again. Obviously, knowing that I would have made hundreds of millions of dollars might have changed my, or clouded my decision. But um no, you know what? I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think I would have decided any differently. I, I think maybe if I had to name a quote unquote mistake over the years, and this has happened, thank God, only a few times because I have learned from this mistake. Is I, I love tech, like genuinely, deeply love tech, so I get excited about it. And so, oftentimes, or not oftentimes, several times, I maybe followed the tech as opposed to following the people. Um, and you know maybe the people rubbed me the wrong way, but I loved what they were building, and so I followed that, and that was a mistake. So for me, like you know, lesson is. Literally, always work with good people. I, and again, know it's cliche, but it's true. You got to work with good people. The pivot, the, the, the tech can pivot. 
people can't pivot. You got to work with good people. The people you believe in, people you can follow into, you know, the battlefield, quote unquote. But uh, it's all about the people. Got that. Um, who do you view as a mentor? I know, I know you, you have good friends. Or Scoble's a friend of yours. Do you have mentors that you've gone to and say, no, I need some advice? I need Sure. Well, obviously, my parents. Uh, not obvious, but it is my parents for sure. That's kind of top of the list. My parents are my parents are pretty extraordinary people. You know my parents. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think without getting too much of a downer over the last couple of months, I maybe learned about even even how more how even how much more extraordinary they are. But uh, definitely, my parents learned a ton from my parents. Continue to learn a ton from my parents. Uh, on, a, on a professional slash personal level, I, I definitely look up to to Michael Eisenberg a lot. Because I think Michael Eisenberg is kind of like one of, if not the premier venture capitalist in this country. He, I mean, I know him my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, listen, it's all about balance in life, right? So, you know, for me, I work because, so I can, you know, support my family. Not, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't live to work. I, I, I work to live, right? So he's kind of nailed that. I don't know, he's nine kids or something now. And uh, he obviously raised hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital, invested in some of the craziest companies, finds time to learn, learn with his kids, finds time to play baseball with his kids. Yeah. How he does it all, I'm not really sure, but people ask me that question also. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's about passion, so he's balanced it pretty pretty well. He has his kind of priorities straight, and uh, I don't think he lets his success go to his head, which is important for me. So Michael Eisenberg's a big uh, big role model of mine. I definitely look at his career and follow it. Uh, you you want to take a couple of questions from Twitter? Are there some you want to? It's more like spam on Twitter this morning. Oh, that's not a good thing. No. <laughs> if not, then I'll I'll just jump in and spam in morning and in the conversation. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, this is okay, so. Um, is there a habit that you do daily that helps you stay on top of your game? Yeah, definitely. I've talked about this a lot. So I, I definitely people say to me, like I said just now, people ask me a lot how do I do so much in one day, and and you, I, honestly, and now I'm going to totally pat myself on the back and say I, people don't even realize. Like honestly, if you looked at my outbox, my sent items every day, you actually would not believe it. I think I probably send anywhere between fifty and eighty intros a day, um, and the ins- and I do that, and I'm and I'm writing. And I'm video, you know, vlogging, and I'm meeting startups, I'm advising startups. I'm doing a crap load of stuff every day. And putting aside for one second the passion that drives me, uh, I have figured out hacks, quote unquote, life hacks. Um, you know, people cut corners in the wrong places. I try to cut corners in the right places. So one of the hacks among many that I've t- talked about often is is the whole uh, keyboard shortcut thing, which has changed my life. I'm being honest with you. Like, I don't think any feature on a phone has ever changed my life as much as this. So in your in your smartphone's keyboard settings, there are text replacements. iPhone, Android, it doesn't matter. And I've set up, and again, I wish this was a, a video podcast I could show it to you, but I'll show it to you, and you can yeah. you can hear from his response uh, what, what I'm talking about. I go into my keyboard, and I have text replacements, and these are all the shortcuts that I've set up. Look how many. Jeez. Yeah, it's basically a dictionary. I, so for example, I'll just show you one. So for example, when someone says to me, you know, uh, I want to meet, and they don't give me any context. So instead of writing a whole email... You know, give me some context. Why do you want to meet me? Blah, blah, blah. So I, I, wrote, I set up a shortcut. So I'll show it to you right now. I write the word context yeah. and then two question marks. Boom. That's the whole thing. Thanks for the email. Just need a bit more context here. Meaning some people reach out to me as a blogger, others because of the vlog, others reach out in a marketing capacity, and others because they're raising their fundraising. Just need a bit of clarification here. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks and hope it's okay to be so direct. In my experience, context is extremely important when it comes to these things. So there's no misalignment of expectations. That could get awkward. Looking forward to your response. That, that paragraph I send 40 times a day. And, I, and it took me how long did it take me to write that? A second and a half. So think about that times forty, and that's just one. I have literally probably eighty shortcuts. So, you, so pretty much you're building your own CRM solution. 
Right, but that, that's, well, I mean, yeah. that's, that's what it is. I mean, you, one, one might say that, but when someone's, for example, 80 times a day says, okay, let's set up a meeting. Yeah. So I say Monday morning, 9 o'clock, they say we can't. How about Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock? We go back and forth and I say, all right, send me a calendar invite so it's locked in. That sentence right there is, let's say, two, three sentences. That would take me, let's say, four minutes to write. I set up a shortcut. Yeah. I do it 80, 100 times a day. It takes me a second. So I save myself hours every day because of text replacements on my smartphone. Huge, huge life hack. Good. That's a good point, and I, I, I will definitely look at that. Game changer. All right, so we're down to like the last minute or two. Um, do you listen to podcasts? And if so, are there any you listen to? It's an interesting question because I'm going to get in trouble for this answer because I, I am a founder of a startup. That's a podcasting platform called Zcast. Uh, and my co-founder might get angry at me for saying this, but unfortunately I do not. Uh, you know, this is, I guess, one of the prices of – Everything that I'm doing, uh, I gotta, you know, I gotta prioritize. I gotta kind of like, um, you know, I gotta, I gotta figure out, uh, you know, do I have time for this? Do I have time for that? And if I'm, if I'm listening to a podcast, for example, I'll probably do it in the car. When I'm driving in the car, I'm dictating to Siri a book that I'm writing. Okay. Literally, that's what I'm doing in the car. So if I listen to a podcast, I just wouldn't have time for that. So I gotta just prioritize. Um, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube. You know, learning a lot yeah. from YouTube and I do a lot of social, do a lot of writing. So I just podcasts just didn't, didn't, doesn't, hasn't felt fit into my workflow, but. Who knows what will be? I, we talked about this before. For me, podcasts, the biggest challenge is distribution. Yeah. Um, but uh, bottom line is that, um, you know, for me right now, podcast hasn't hasn't yet uh, penetrated my workflow. Well, hopefully you'll listen to this podcast at yeah, once I push will. out this week. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It's, it's been great to, you know, talk on a more personal level as well. And uh, thanks. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.